Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. has ever dawned that rivaled this. It's the 2nd of June, 1953. Beauty, queenship, Raymond Superb, her life outsoars the noblest fiction. All of London is breathless. Leaving her palace to be crowned queen, most royally and romantically espoused, loftiest heritage... Elizabeth II, all of 27 years old, is making her way from Buckingham Palace to her official coronation. Banners and bunting hang from eaves across the city. People have been camping out all night in the rain to make sure they have a good spot on the parade route. A sovereign at whose glittering approach a million acclamations rent the air. Cheering crowds await her at every turn. The young queen rides in an impossibly ornate golden coach, preceded by hundreds of horse guards and footmen dressed in their finest. Her destination is Westminster Abbey, site of every coronation of a British monarch for more than a thousand years. The Queen is anointed with holy oil while surrounded by lords and ladies in their crimson velvet robes and ermine capes and clergy in white vestments. Then she's presented with the royal regalia, the golden spurs of chivalry, the sword of state. Is your majesty willing to take the oath? I am willing. She takes the oath of service, pledging to govern a vast but fading empire. Will you solemnly promise and swear to govern the peoples of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the Union of South Africa, Pakistan and Ceylon, and of your possession and the other territories to any of them belonging or pertaining according to their respective laws and customs. I solemnly promise so to do. At last, it's time for the monarch to receive the crown. With St. Edward's crown, the crown of England, the archbishop performs the simple yet the most significant ceremony of the queen's coronation. The archbishop holds the crown up so everyone can see. Solid gold and lined with purple velvet, studded with rubies, sapphires and other precious stones. Then he slowly lowers it and sets it on the Queen's head. The room breaks out in cheers. The Abbey is packed with important spectators, nobility, heads of state from around the world. And up in the royal pew, taking it all in and looking a bit wide-eyed, is a four-year-old boy with neatly parted hair, nestled in front of the Queen's mother. Prince Charles finds grandmother a patient teacher as he tries to absorb the meaning and significance of what he sees and hears. 
a large order for four-year-old eyes and ears. But someday, this pageantry may mark his own coronation. He may hold the scepter of power and the rod of mercy as the climactic moment approaches. Prince Charles formally took on his royal duties back in 1969. I, Charles, Prince of Wales, do become your liege man of life and limb. But Queen Elizabeth is still on the throne. Charles himself, that little boy in the royal pew, is now a man of 73. And he's still waiting to wear his mother's crown. Still waiting to take on the job he was born for. The intervening decades haven't exactly been kind to his image. Distant, aloof, often appearing to fumble the gifts that have been handed to him from the breakup of his famous marriage. More than half the country thinks Prince Charles deserves blame for the royal breakup, according to the... To the drama surrounding his younger son, which I've covered in all its ugliness. Tonight, silence from the royal family after Harry and Meghan's bombshell allegation that racist comments were made before the birth of their first son, all the while seeming to chafe against the constraints of his role. What do you see as the job description of Prince of Wales? Well, that probably isn't a job description. So you have to rather make it up as you go along, which doesn't always, <laughs> doesn't always appeal to everybody else. Indeed, it hasn't. He's taken up causes like advocating for organic farming and against climate change. Quite literally, it is the last chance saloon. We must now translate fine words into still finer actions. But for a long time, he's been largely ignored. Now, though, things are about to change. At the age of 96, observers are concerned about the Queen's health deteriorating, and her passing will be a defining moment that will raise a lot of questions. Who are we? What do we stand for? What is modern Britain? What do we want now? Do we want Charles? Do we want a monarchy? All these questions, I think, are going to swirl around. Can King Charles win the people over, as his mother did so effortlessly? Or that uncomfortable question, is there a risk his rule is rejected? Is it the thing that Prince Charles has been waiting his entire life for? He's been called an eccentric, a dilettante, an enemy of progress. Could it really be King Charles III? The question is, will Charles now ever be King of England? I'm Keir Simmons, and this is Born to Rule. Episode 1, The End of Empire. My official title at NBC News is Senior International Correspondent, which translates as I cover everything from Russia's war in Ukraine. President Putin is facing a battle on multiple fronts, militarily in Ukraine, domestically facing... To Chinese environmental policy. China has built 11 hydro dams and Chinese companies are helping build more in neighbouring countries. Crisscrossing Europe and Asia to interview heads of state, reporting on elections and protests. Given everything that's going on in the world, covering the British royal family can often seem insignificant. But because I'm based here in London, I end up doing a lot of it. To be honest, when you're from the UK, the royals 
are just part of the furniture. I wasn't even 10 years old when my parents took me to the wedding of the century. Here they come now into the great circle outside of Buckingham Palace. Charles and Diana's big day. We stood in a crowd trying to glimpse a prince and princess, as so many have on the streets of London in centuries past. But here's the puzzling thing for me. My mum and dad were socialists. My mum was Irish Catholic. Why would people like my parents take their kid to a royal wedding? One reason monarchy survives is because it's entertaining. The only form of government, said an English writer, where personal business is public business. And you Americans, what's up with your royal addiction? You got rid of these people in 1776. Here's the thing. While you in the US exited stage left almost 250 years ago, what some call the royal soap opera kept going. The who's up, who's down drama didn't stop. It's all about the thing that all of us are truly obsessed with. Status, class, cachet. It's a real life Downton Abbey that's hard, perhaps impossible to turn away from. And the next act in this unscripted reality show, Prince Charles becomes King Charles, or whatever he chooses to call himself. The Prince of Wales is historically old. At 73, he's nine years older than the next oldest heir to the British throne, William IV, who became king at 64 in 1830. Charles has spent decades dedicated to public service, but despite his best efforts to shape his public image around his good works, he may be best known around the world as the man who married and then cheated on Princess Diana. Today, Britons thinking about their royals and how the magic of 15 years ago turned to misery were breathing a sigh of despair as the marriage ended, or a gasp of relief. Oh, and of course, he's often been overshadowed by his omnipresent mother, the beloved Queen Elizabeth II. This year is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Jubilees are essentially big parties to celebrate our kings and queens on the anniversaries of their rule. This time, for the Queen's 70-year reign, the palace's objectives are twofold. To honour Her Majesty and to give the public a sense of what comes after so let's begin with someone who knows a lot about the British establishment. Daisy McAndrew is a reporter and royal commentator here at NBC News and a longtime colleague on the Palace Beat. OK, we're recording. Well, it's an honour, my friend. I'm very honoured. Daisy says Charles is expected to stand right beside his mother at Trooping the Colour on June 2nd, the Queen's big birthday parade. Events like a Platinum Jubilee, you know, 70 years on the throne, are obviously big events to be celebrated. But more than that, you know this, kid, they're publicity events, they're PR opportunities. They're an opportunity to remind the public or remind the Commonwealth or remind the world that the royal family is still there, that the royal family has a future. And the way that they show people that the royal family has a future is by pointing at it, by saying, here is Charles, here is Camilla, here is Kate, here is William. That is our future. And we're here to stay. And yes, of course, a lot of that is choreography. It is who stands 
where it is, who's literally in the limelight. And it is up to the monarch to bestow some of that limelight on those who she thinks are most important or those who she thinks are most relevant or those who she thinks are most helpful. Right. So it's all about the Queen, but not really. Look, for Prince Charles, it's all about where he will stand and what he'll be doing and what people will say about him. Yes, and it's about him becoming more than just an heir. It's about him becoming a monarch in waiting, about him looking like he's useful and purposeful and is for something, is stands for something. And of course, making people get used to the idea that he is the monarch that's just round the corner and trying to get him more popular. Because Keir, you know this, he's nowhere near as popular as his mother. Yeah, what a nightmare to stand next to the Queen. <laughs> it's unbelievably popular, long-reigning monarch. And to yeah. try to be the next in line, not overshadow her. It's very, very difficult. To, and also, if you think about just that longevity that you know we're talking about, 70 years on the throne, that means that nobody knows any different. And although we think that we're a very modern nation who like change, we don't like change and we like what we're used to. Now, of course, if she was an unpopular monarch, that would be different. But she has managed to sustain her popularity. The Queen is so popular, she's appeared on Gallup's list of most admired women, more often than Mother Teresa or Oprah or anyone else. And a recent YouGov poll puts her approval rate at 85%, the highest of any royal. And also, of course, if you think about it, when she came along, there she was, this incredibly glamorous young woman in her early 20s with a glamorous husband and young family. Throughout all my life and with all my heart, I shall strive to be worthy of your trust. That automatically made her popular and people were sympathetic because she'd been thrust into this job. She'd lost her beloved father. So people were automatically on her side and willing her on. She has shown us that she is all about duty and that she works incredibly hard and that's what she wants to continue to do. The Queen has been Queen for so long, there's truly no blueprint for Charles, no modern model of how to take over her job. And as any Briton will tell you, Prince Charles isn't the most beloved of royals. According to a poll done by YouGov, his approval rating these days hovers around 50%, and that's pretty good for him. He's usually towards the bottom of the pack when it comes to royal popularity polls, above his brother, Andrew, but far below his son, William, his late father, Prince Philip, or even his sister, Anne. Inevitably, the Queen will be a tough act to follow. Charles doesn't have any of that goodwill going into this job that she had. Can you imagine if you'd been, you know, the bridesmaid and never the bride for your entire life and you are now really, most people would consider thinking about retirement or even retired in your 70s and actually you haven't even achieved your main job. It's an extraordinary position to be in. Uh, what's Charles like? I think he is quite tormented. I think a lot of people would say he's worn the weight of his responsibility 
quite heavily. We all know the story is much more sensitive as a child sent to boarding school, you know, not as sporty as his father was. So not made of that really stern stuff uh, originally. You look at his hobbies, you get a sense of who he is. He loves gardening. He loves watercolour painting. You know, he's not a party animal. He's more of a, a quiet country mouse rather than somebody who loves the limelight. Yeah. I mean, that's authentically him, isn't it? He does genuinely love gardening. He, he is that kind of down-to-earth person in a certain kind of way, only in a certain kind of way. Yes, exactly. He's, he's quite spiritual. I mean, we know he spent years as a younger man studying, you know, not just Christianity, but got very into Buddhism at one point. So, you know, that gives you a sense of the type of man uh, he is. So he's thoughtful. He's bookish. So... We like authenticity in the Queen, but is it fair to say somehow we haven't really liked the authentic Charles? I don't know whether people have seen that much of the authentic Charles. And I think you can see he's had difficult relationships. He had a difficult relationship with his father. He wasn't his mother's favourite child. I think Charles has always really craved somebody to be really proud of him. Now, we all know people like that, and that can lead to somebody being quite an unhappy person inside themselves. Now, you know, a lot of people would say, well, he should just you know, grow up. He should, you know, he's, what, what's he ever been you know, short of as the, the future monarch? Well, we don't like people feeling sorry for themselves, do we? Yes, I think, I think that's, that's another that's aspect very, of Englishness. Yeah. Yes, stiff up a lip and get yeah. a backbone and, and get on with it um, yeah. is, is very much a, a characteristic. Is it fair, though? He has, is he kind of a victim of first impressions? We kind of get this idea of someone early on, and if you're a royal, then you're giving out impressions from the moment you're in, in shorts, in diapers even, in nappies. Yeah, I think one thing we can say is that when push comes to shove and when he has his moment, that is going to be a moment of great trepidation. And it could go, I mean, I don't know which way it's going to go. The public could really turn against him or they could say, actually, you know, come in from the cold, Charles, all is forgiven. You've lost your mum, you know, and now this is your moment. But there are those deeply worried that King Charles's moment could be overshadowed by some really big changes. You can already glimpse the tension tearing at the fabric of the monarchy, perhaps most of all in places that were once colonised by Britain and are now pushing the crown away. Will King Charles be able to hold it all together? Is it time to end the royal reign in the Caribbean? For 396 years, the Caribbean island of Barbados becoming the world's newest independent republic. An unexpected twist, which could change the future of the British monarchy, as they try to keep far-flung nations part of the Queen's British Empire. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. One issue that has the potential to rock Charles's reign is the monarchy's relationship to the Commonwealth of Nations. Back in 1953, just after Queen Elizabeth ascended to the throne, she embarked on one of the first of many tours she's taken of the Commonwealth as Queen. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II arrives in Jamaica, British West Indies on her world tour. She'd inherited the monumental task of keeping the Commonwealth together in the 20th century a vestige of colonialism that she's seen as her duty to hold together over the past 70 years. But recently, some citizens of the Commonwealth are calling more loudly than ever for a break with the British monarchy, perhaps most of all in the Caribbean. The Commonwealth is the last gasp of the British Empire. It's a brutal history the royal family can't turn away from. The price of Britain's imperialism and participation in the slave trade is still felt all over the world. And Prince Charles is already having to address that ugly legacy. From the darkest days of our past and the appalling atrocity of slavery, which forever stains our history, the people of this island forged their path with extraordinary fortitude. That's Prince Charles late last year in Barbados, during a celebration that marked the country's transition from Commonwealth realm to Republic, severing ties with the British monarchy. He was there to witness the inauguration of Barbados's first president, Sandra Mason, the first person actually from Barbados to become the head of state. I am part of the bridge generation from the colonial past to the independent nation, to the future of the new republic. The question at the heart of these changing dynamics is a big one. Is the British monarchy inextricably tied to empire? Can they untangle themselves from the systematic racism they represented? It's time to pay attention, because what's happening right now in the Caribbean could be, just maybe, the epicentre of a slowly growing earthquake under Charles's future throne. So let's take a step back. At the end of World War II, the empire Britain had been building for centuries began to fall apart. British rule in India and Pakistan ended in 1947. And in the years after, dozens of countries followed. Ghana, Nigeria, Kuwait, the list goes on. What is left is a voluntary association of former colonies called the Commonwealth of Nations. It's huge. About a third of the people on the planet are members. I asked Professor Anna Whitelock from the City University of London to break it down for me. She's an expert on the history of monarchy. Well, at the end of the empire and the process of decolonization, this free association of countries emerged out of that. And it was not about Britain's imperial rule, but instead something benign, something that was uh, about equality and about shared 
uh, values around the world in this big community. So it was trying to, in a sense, make something good uh, out of something that, you know, looking back was pretty horrific in many places and in many cases, uh, the British Empire and the way in which Britain extended its footprint around the world. While there are 54 countries in the Commonwealth, in 15, the Queen is actually still the head of state. So in Canada, in Jamaica, the Queen is Queen of Canada. She's Queen of Jamaica. She's Queen of Belize, which is in a way is a very unfamiliar idea to us when we think of the Queen. But she does have a separate position there. So is there an advantage to being a Commonwealth realm or being a member of the Commonwealth without having the Queen as the head of state? I think the advantages really on both sides are becoming less easy to define and argue for. And it's really lost its way in many ways in recent years, particularly after the uh, development of the European Union, for example, the sense of what the Commonwealth is uh, sort of in a way faded into the background. But essentially, it's bonded by friendship and support and cooperation. For people in the Commonwealth who still recognise the British monarchy, the fact that they're still singing God Save the Queen has become harder and harder to square with the modern world. We wanted to talk to someone who's been speaking out against colonialism in Commonwealth nations, so we reached out to Stacey Ann Chin. She's a writer and activist who splits her time between Jamaica and New York City. We are in 2022. This is 500-odd years from when Europe came to the Caribbean and subjugated the people they found there and dragged others from other places to bring them there and make them subjects. So we are in this moment in history where we are examining the question of hierarchy. We are examining the phenomenon of power. In the Black Lives Matter movement, we are asking ourselves, what are the ways in which we have been oppressive to black people. And uh, I think it's interesting that that conversation has led us full circle to the monarchy. How is it that we can still hold on to the monarchy as it stands? The only reason Kate and William and Charles is because they have a bloodline. It seems ridiculous. And I don't know why we are still there. For too long, the British has been the only voice telling the story of what happened during the British Empire, the rule of the British Empire. And it is time now for other voices to tell the story of what happened to them, rather than us leaving it over to the power of the British voice to take up all the space on the airwaves. Jamaican people now want to step forward and tell our own story. And a part of telling our own story is owning our own story. This past March, a few months after Charles's trip to Barbados, Prince William and Kate, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, toured three Caribbean countries, Belize, Jamaica and the Bahamas. But the visit hasn't all been smooth sailing, at times overshadowed by questions about Britain's colonial past and its role in the slave trade. In every country they visited, William and Kate found protests and calls for reparations. Apologies, no reparations, no apologies, no reparations. We have not forgotten and we demand an apology and reparations. Two pictures, I suppose, stand out on the tour. Professor Anne Whitelock again. One 
was when William and Kate were standing, you know, dressed in white in a Land Rover, deliberately echoing a similar tour and a similar image of uh, the Queen and Prince Philip decades before. As the Land Rover leaves the grounds, notice the identifying standard of His Royal Highness, the Duke of Cambridge, being Lord. And it smacked of this sort of imperial, post-imperial rule. Uh, and also that image of Kate reaching out to the crowds uh, through a fence. Now, I think pictures speak a thousand words, and I think they say a lot of things. The fact that in other places, William and Kate were you know, cheered and so on by the crowds, that will get lost because there were protests. Of course, these weren't the first protests against a royal visit in the Caribbean or anywhere else in the Commonwealth for that matter. But for a long time, whenever the Queen arrived in a new country, she was greeted with cheers. The royal establishment assumed that the warm welcome was proof that she was largely popular, beloved and revered across the Commonwealth. And so... I guess on that basis, there was a conversation that was like, well, let's lean into that. Let's get William and Kate kind of mimicking that, echoing that very deliberately by, for example, doing that um, photo op in a Land Rover. But what this shows is that times have changed now. And actually, even the Queen has, to some extent, become a kind of toxic figure in that environment now. Toxic? Really? Toxic? Yeah, I think it is becoming toxic, the appearance of a white head of state or representatives of the head of state who swoops in, lands for four or five days on a royal visit, expects the kind of, you know, members of uh, the communities to, you know, wave and cheer, and then they disappear again. And I do think that, you know, that is becoming problematic. There's always a tension in the nature of monarchy, right? They've always been people who rule over us but want our consent but they're not democratic there's always been those issues but but you sense right now that there may be a tipping point where the tensions are too much i think that's certainly true within those countries in the caribbean i think now um you know the culture and the climate of calls for reparations a sense of black lives matter it really feels like all of these issues together um, mean that the future of uh, those links with the British crown just do seem untenable. The monarchy is founded on birthright. It's founded on privilege and it's founded on white power and wealth. That is the monarchy. So how does it modernise and how does it change? Since Prince Charles attended the inauguration of Barbados's first president last year, calls for breaking ties with the monarchy have gotten louder in Jamaica. Belize, the Bahamas and other Commonwealth realms in the Caribbean. And ostensibly, the royals are hearing those calls. In March, at the end of Prince William and Kate's tour, William gave a speech in Nassau. We support with pride and respect your decisions about your future. Relationships evolve, friendship endures. You talked a bit about how uh, Barbados says, okay, we're gone. And there seems to be that other Caribbean countries are seeing that and kind of getting, I suppose you could say, inspiration from that in a certain kind I don't of way think, or no, political I don't momentum. Think so. I think maybe political momentum, but these things have been there for a long time. I mean, they've been in Jamaica 
various prime ministers over the years have expressed a wish to break with the crown. I think there is a sense now of momentum, but I think now we will gradually see uh, these countries pulling away. I suspect, I mean, most people believed it would happen after the Queen died. There was a bit of, in some sense, relief, actually, that Barbados went when it did, because actually... Uh, it's not going to be attributed to Charles. There's a sense that, you know, this process was underway already. Look, even in the Queen's reign, Barbados had decided to break. It's not on his watch. There will be future uh, moments like this, but he's not going to be, you know, held directly responsible in the way that he might have been because of this process happening before the Queen dies. It is a tremendous change, unavoidable change for this family. What do you think is most at stake when the monarchy passes over to Charles? Ultimately, it's. It, I mean, the monarchy is based on a kind of quid pro quo between the crown and the people. The people have to accept uh, the, the, the crown and the monarchy and us having a monarchy. And it's not just some citizens of the Commonwealth who are beginning to question this quid pro quo. It's also some Britons. When Charles is in charge, Will that opinion start to gain steam? Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I love the Queen, absolutely love the Queen. So to think of the end of that era is incredibly sad. And I think the Queen's just been absolutely faultless and incredible for this country. I think she's amazing. When you ask people on the streets of London what they think about the future of the monarchy, you don't exactly hear ringing enthusiasm about Prince Charles becoming king. The Queen's all right, but um, the rest of them I'm not too fussed about. You know, she's like such a historic thing that's going to become really apparent when they bring in a new guy who most people don't really like that much. And they're going to have to say things like king rather than queen, which I think feels a lot more domineering to a lot of people. And they're not going to like it. Don't run around asking about Prince Charles because, to be honest, no one gives a about Prince Charles. That's the truth. Not everyone feels that way. We heard some support for the future king, especially for his vocal advocacy for the environment. I think he's got a social conscience as much as he can relate to normal people. I think he's concerned with the environment. Very nice man, uh, very into nature, and does the, tries to do the right thing. I think that he's a man that cares deeply about the planet, and I think that is an admirable quality. And, I think it's and there's something else that came up repeatedly with the people we talked to. It would be a lot easier if we simply skipped Charles and went straight to Prince William. That's my opinion. The sooner you change to the younger generations, the better I think it would be. 
I think it'd be good for everyone and the image of this country and the royals of this country. A quick reality check. You know that traditional proclamation, the king is dead, long live the king? That's the law. It's about continuity of monarchy. The moment Queen Elizabeth dies, Prince Charles will become king. There's not really an opportunity for Charles to decide, oh, actually, let's have young William give it a go. Charles would have to abdicate. The last time a king abdicated was in the 30s, when King Edward VIII chose to reject the throne so he could marry the love of his life, a twice-divorced American named Wallace Simpson. That's a whole other story. But the important bit is that it caused a constitutional crisis. It's very, very unlikely that Charles will abdicate to put William on the throne, no matter what the public's opinion is. That means it's on Charles to change people's minds. Those first few weeks from when the Queen dies, that is going to be an incredibly important moment. That's NBC contributor Daisy McAndrew again. My understanding is he's going to go on something of a, you know, a, a big tour around the country, you know, a meet and greet, a this is who I am, a, you know, get to know Charles the King. And it's the type of thing that will send PR experts into, you know, a, a, some nervous breakdown of concern about it because one wrong move could change everybody's impression of him. They are all around him, are they? Already thinking, how do we get this right? This is going to be yeah. seismic. For the They've been thinking about it for 25 years, Keir. I mean, if you think about it, you know, 20, 25 years ago, she was in her 70s. They had, I mean, you know, her funeral has been planned for decades because you can't be caught unaware like they were with her father. So it's perfectly natural that it would be planned. But of course, you know, every year bit more and more gets, gets added to those plans. But fundamentally, you know, they're sort of, the tour of his lifetime is something that he's been planning for 20 years. Absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, so the, the Queen passes away and there's a huge amount of mourning. And for many people, yeah. it will be a a life-changing moment, a, a moment that people will remember. It, it will be. And, and I don't think that we really know the shockwaves that it's going to send through. Because, of course, on the one hand, you say, you know, 96, 97-year-old woman dies is hardly a surprise to anybody. But it's not going to be the fact of her death that's going to shock people. It's the way I think that it's going to make us as a nation look at ourselves and think... Everything's changed in a minute and it's going to open conversations that we didn't think we were ready to have. And and I'm not saying we're going to turn into a republic. I'm not saying that at all. But I think the shock is going to be much deeper and more widely felt than we realise. And it can quickly turn on Charles, can't it? Because all that Absolutely. really needs to happen is Canada or Australia says, you know, I think this is the point where we walk away. And yeah. then and suddenly, if he looks in, like he's he, he's not up to it, and he's losing countries. Yeah, and then that and, will reflect back on his domestic reputation. Yes, although he's you know sat at his mother's knee for the last seventy years, watching how she's done it. We know he's not going to just want to do it like she's done it because he's going to want to put his own mark on things. So he's going to want to change things. Are we going to be ready for the changes? It's like a tsunami heading towards him, poor man. It is, And, you know, when he was 50, he probably had very different ideas to now yeah. when he's 70. And, you know, I mean, he seems to be, you know, 
fit as a fiddle like, like his mum, but you never quite know these things. Think about but William, he's already in his 40s. Most people in their 40s, you know, in this day and age, are well and truly into their career. So it is a very, very difficult situation for the whole family. Because when she's gone, what then? It's a question the new king will have to answer. In our next episode, we'll ask, who is the real Prince Charles? What's it like growing up inside the royal family? And why some are calling him a visionary and others a threat to the throne. He is such an unintelligent adopter of reactionary causes that he could bring the whole institution down with him. What will happen to all those causes on the day Prince Charles assumes the throne? I'm a dangerous person because I mind about things. That's next time on Born to Rule. Just a note to end our episode, we did reach out to the palace and they did not respond. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you've heard, please give Born to Rule When Charles is King a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Born to Rule is produced by Ursula Summer. Our story editor is Lacey Roberts. Associate producers are Rachel Young and Nina Bispano. Ernie Indrida is our audio engineer. Original music by John Estes and additional music by Brian Robertson and MJ Hancock. Production help by Bob Mallory and associate producer Arnav Jain. Kiko Itasaka and Carol Marquis are our coordinating producers. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Mina Kothoria is our executive producer. Reed Cherlin is managing editor. Soraya Gage, general manager. And Madeline Harringer, our head of editorial. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.